you could please join me in prayer. Dear Holy Father, we want to come to you now after the weeks we've had. Some of us have had good weeks. Some of us have had very difficult weeks. And we come to you now putting it behind us, laying it down on the cross and asking you to give us hearts that can listen, to give us ears that can focus on what you have to teach us today. Father, we want to um, intercede on behalf of a few people in our community today. We want to pray for Nirai, who's uh, recovering from her surgery and is having some post-surgery complications. Please um, draw very near to her, be with all the doctors, be with her family as they're caring for her. Um, please give her relief from all the side effects and complications that she's experiencing. Please give her a good sleep. And most of all, Lord, give her your peace that, that um, she'll get through this and you're with her. We also want to pray for Ruth as she's had a bit of a flare-up this week, that you continue to be with her, um, her chronic pain, that you would heal her and that you would give her um, that continued joy in her heart that despite all the suffering, um, that you have a plan for her life, Lord. We also want to pray for Ingrid um, as she's had a very tough week of being in the hospital and facing all her health condition. Um, we pray for healing, we pray for comfort, and we pray for hope that as she goes through these challenging days and nights, she'll know that you two uh, love her um, and that she's very precious in your sight. We want to pray, Father, also for the family members of um, our members. We have members who have um, parents or siblings or aunties and uncles who are suffering from cancer um, and other debilitating diseases. And Father, we just want to pray that um, you would please heal them, but also give um, the whole family strength and wisdom to care and to know how to be there for their loved ones. Um, Father, we want to pray for um, those who are still sick with COVID or who have maybe become close contacts, are in isolation, um, having just come through it. I know that um, it's not always easy, and sometimes it can really be debilitating. And so, Father, we just want to pray that you would please um, come very near to us during this pandemic. It's it's tough to navigate its ups and downs, um, to keep ourselves and our loved ones safe and to know how to to live in this world that um yeah has has an ongoing pandemic lord so please continue to give us wisdom <clears throat> and father we want to pray for those who are going through other troubles whether it's financial relational um or any other you know issues that are happening in their lives you know what they're what they're going through and father we pray that as we focus now on what you've said in um, in your word, um, that we would really be humbly drawn to your Holy Spirit teaching us. We pray in your son's name. Amen. <clears throat> I was telling someone this week that all week long, I'm totally fine, but as soon as I get in front of a camera, <laughs> my throat dries up more. <clears throat> so, as I was saying, if this pandemic has taught us anything, it's that life is unpredictable and circumstances can change. Um, as I said last week, you know, it's been several years since we've seen our families um, in the U.S. It's actually been five years um, since we've been to see um, 
Roy's family, and since we've been to Cali to see our family there, we've seen them. Um, they've come to visit us, but it's been five years um, since you know Joshi's been on a plane to the U.S. Um, <clears throat> to main, mainland U.S., I should say, and so we we finally um, got our leave. We booked our tickets, and so we're we're, we're planning to go at the end of June. Um, <clears throat> but we keep saying to each other, you know, when we're talking to our families, we hope to see you in July. We don't dare say. Yay, we're going to see each other in July because we know how life works at the moment, unfortunately. That nothing is guaranteed in this life. And yet, even though we we know this kind of, I guess, theoretically, and now because of the pandemic, we, we, we felt this. And yet we spend still so much of our time striving for things that we know are not guaranteed. For things that we know cannot last. Because, one, we have to sometimes, of course, um, but also because we're taught and we're raised and, and, and you know, we see all around us in our culture um, this idea that security comes from finances and plans and savings and investing and that blessings come in form of riches. But if, and there's nothing wrong with those things, but if that's where our security and our happiness and our meaning is found, then when unexpected crises come, like the global recession in 2007, 2008, um, or this pandemic, then we're going to feel really lost and really anxious and and, and really troubled. You know, we've been exploring the teachings of Jesus um, found in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 to 7. And last time we talked about how, we talked about prayer, and we talked about how Jesus taught um, us to pray for our daily bread. You know, he knows that we have needs. He knows that we have to work to meet those needs. But I shared about how how God, uh, how Jesus in his prayer referred us back to that time in the wilderness when God provided daily manna. And so Jesus says, pray for our daily bread. And this is a lesson in, in learning to trust in God for each day and not hoarding for the future. How it's our daily bread, right? Not just my daily bread, which means that if we have extras, we share with those around us so that everyone can have our daily bread. Well, after he shares about prayer, he then talks about um, greed and anxiety. And so let's get into the text uh, together. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. These are confronting words. Who is your master? Who do you, what do you value? You know, what do you find yourself thinking about, worrying about, investing your time and effort into the most, the most? 
Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Jesus knew that for many, the temptation to live for prosperity would compete with faithfulness to God. That the drive for comfort, security, and success would keep us preoccupied and anxious and just too busy to spend quality time with God, studying His Word, or serving Him. And so Jesus makes this counter-offer in this, in this passage. Basically, He's painting um, two pictures. One picture... On the one hand, it is of someone who stores treasures on earth. They work and they work and they store and they stockpile and they, and they increase their wealth. But, and, and in verse 23, he paints this picture of these unhealthy eyes. <clears throat> and in, in the original Greek, um, that word implies greedy eyes, covetous eyes, stingy eyes, right? Eyes, and you, you can kind of picture that. Right? What, like a cartoon version of what that looks like, right? Greedy eyes that are always looking for more, never satisfied, right? Um, jealous of what others have, wanting what others have, and hoarding what they have to themselves. And he paints this picture of, 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 of such a person and how all that they've amassed and, and increased can disappear in a moment. The market crashes. There's a pandemic there's a bushfire, identity theft. Life is so unpredictable. And so, and we could even die, any one of us, unexpectedly. And so what then is left behind of all that work, right? Of all, those, all that wealth. On the other hand, Jesus paints another picture of someone whose eye is full of light. And the Greek word there implies generous eyes, right? Eyes that are searching to, to help and to bless others seeing the world as God sees it, right? Living to serve every day. Such an individual is, is making treasures in heaven by helping and, and serving God and doing His will and, and making an eternal impact for the salvation of others. And so, yes, when a financial crisis or some other calamity comes, of course they're affected, but they're not devastated because their security was never in any of those things anyway. Their master is God, and their treasures are in heaven. So Jesus paints this, these two pictures, and he's saying, choose wisely which picture you want for your life. Choose wisely which master you want to serve. Either you serve God, or you serve and seek after money and success and all that comes with it. And in that biblical phrase where Jesus says, either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other, the biblical idea of hate and love is not like how we use it today. It's not about emotions, right? It's not saying you have to hate money, like, oh, hate, oh, got my, got my, you know, salary today. Oh, dear. No, he, that's not what God is talking about. In the biblical notion of hate and love, it's, it's not about emotion. It's not about actually hating or loving. It's about priority. So when, when in the Bible it says he hated Esau and loved Jacob, it's saying that God gave preferential treatment to Jacob over Esau. And so here when Jesus says you can't serve both God and money, you have to choose your master because you either hate the one and love the other. He's saying one of them is going to be over the other in terms of priority, right? Because they're going to compete for our time and preference. Should we keep the Sabbath or prioritize work or study? Should we tell the truth or fudge a little in our taxes? 
Should we treat employees the same way that we want to be treated? Or do we increase our profit margins? Should we respect our boss or gossip about her? Should we step on someone else to get that promotion? Right? There's always going to be, in our choices, the competition between serving God and serving ourselves, personal gain. And Jesus is saying, you can't have two masters. One of them is always going to beat out. So you have to choose who is going to be your master. What is going to be driving you in the decisions that you make? In 1939, Germany invaded Poland and World War II began. World War II began. And over the next several years, we know that Nazi Germany um, systematically segregated and then murdered over 6 million Jews and others through mass shootings, gas chambers, extermination camps, and concentration camps. There was a man uh, named Oskar Schindler who had an enamelware factory in Krakow in Poland. And at that factory, um, basically, he would have some of those uh, Jews that were enforced, you know, forced to come and labor for him in the factory. And as a businessman, he wanted to make money. So that's how, you know, it all began. He was not a saint. <clears throat> he was getting free labor. And, you know, the government, he worked with the Nazi government. Um, he was, in, in all different measurements, very flawed. He was a very flawed man. He cheated on his wife. He drank excessively. He engaged in bribery and espionage and, you know, helped spy for the, for the Nazis. And he was not a, a saint at all. But as the Holocaust raged on, he could not stand by and witness this brutal genocide. And so, as time went on, it, and it was a gradual process, it wasn't just a dramatic decision, but by 1944, Schindler convinced um, the German authorities to keep sending Jewish laborers to his camp, to his factory. So he, he basically said, these are, this is essential work for the war, and so um, he made sure that uh, the Jews, instead of being sent to concentration camps, were sent to his factory instead. Um, and many of the people who, you know, in Poland were being shipped to Auschwitz and, um, you know, I've been there and it's, it's a horrible, um, just listening to the stories and seeing the pictures, I can't imagine the horror of that place. But, um, so Oskar Schindler, you know, using bribery and other methods, um, ensured that as many people as possible were being sent to his factory instead of being sent to these death camps. Um, recently, and there's a whole movie about him. The movie, you know, is very dramatized, so it's not all factual, but um, David Crow, his biographer, um, published this really great book about him. And he says this. He says, Oscar could have closed his Krakow operations and retreated westward with the profits he had already made. Instead, he chose to risk his life and his money to save as many Jews as he could. And in fact... Schindler spent his entire fortune to save more than 1,000 Jews during the Holocaust. Treasures in heaven. Right? This, is the, this is what it means to store up treasures in heaven. To, to, you know, when it came down the shove between making a profit, he could have saved himself, he could have saved his fortune, but he chose instead to sacrifice it all, right? to save people. 
One of Micah's favorite bedtime stories is a story of a little girl who had saved up, you know, her money to buy a new green dress for herself. But when she went to the shopping center, she sees this sign for the Red Cross、um, asking donations for orphan children. And so, you know, even though there was a dress she really wanted to buy, she decides to donate all of it. To the Red Cross, and Micah loves the story, and he always asks us to read it. And so we've read it probably like I don't know, like fifty times.、Um, but this is what it means to store treasures in heaven, right? Treasures in heaven. You know, every every week、uh, we give the boys allowance, and Micah puts most of it into giving and sharing. Joshi, on the other hand, puts most of it in savings and says, "I want to get rich." But he's only five. We're still there's still time to reform him. <laughs> But、um, you know, treasures in heaven. Whether it's 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 investing our our choosing to invest, right,、um, and 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 sacrifice for the sake of the lives of others, literal or spiritual,、um, treasures in heaven of 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 choosing to give rather than to to hoard for our personal gain. Scott Harrison was a 28-year-old、um, living a life that many envied.、He、had a nice apartment in New York City, drove a BMW, and his job was to party. He was paid to party because he was a nightclub promoter. But after 10 years of doing this, right, of of living life, doing everything he wanted to do, you would think he'd be very happy, but he was desperately unhappy. So after ten years of this, at the age of thirty-eight, he decides to sell everything he has, and he wants to start over. And so he wants to volunteer for a nonprofit, but no one will take him. Right? His resume—they looked at his resume. They're like, "Yeah, no." And finally, an organization called Mercy Ship said, "All right, you can volunteer with us as a photojournalist if you pay us five hundred dollars a month for room and board on this hospital ship that's going to Liberia." So he's like, "Yes." So he gets on the boat. He pays them to to be on this boat,、um, and he's taking photos for them. And this trip changed his life because he saw children drinking water from bacteria-infested ponds that you know where animals drink from, and he saw so many people getting sick from from drinking you know unclean water. So many diseases that could have been prevented if they had access to clean water. And so he learned、um, through this trip. He learned that over 771 million people around the world don't have access to clean water, so they get very sick. And Scott was determined to do something about it. So he's 38. He knows nothing about starting night、um, nonprofit organizations, but he just has this desire to help people. And so he starts this、um, nonprofit. You know, it, it takes him some time. He figures it out.、Um, called Charity Water. And so, with no experience, he starts this nonprofit, and he started with this idea where he wanted 100% of the donations to go towards helping to create access to clean water. And so, it's been, you know, it it, it actually became very successful. He he was in the Forbes,、um, you know, influential people under 40, and now it's serving over 13 million people in 29 countries with clean water. Amazing, and and it's it's interesting when you when you read his interview and 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 the articles and because he didn't know how to start, he was like, well, I'm going to use what I know, which is I know how to throw a great party. And so for his、um, 
birthday, I think it was his 38th or 39th birthday, he basically, when he came back from this uh, trip, he basically threw a party for his birthday where he said, I would like everyone to donate a certain amount to helping to give um, clean access to water, to give access to clean water. And so that's kind of how he started. And so he, he, he's utilizing his skills and his talents now instead of, he says, you know, I was using it to get people wasted and now I'm using it to give people clean water so they can have health and life. And so treasures in heaven, right? How can we, how can we use our time and our resources and our talents and, and our, um, you know, money and, and, and years of life that we have to, help people to serve God. And and the question comes, okay, well if if we do that, right? If we just um focus on 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 uh storing treasures in heaven, well then who's going to take care of our daily needs here on earth? And I'm happy to say that God provides. He provides abundantly more than we ever need for our daily bread. Scott's doing fine, right? He's the CEO of this of this charity. He's doing fine. Um, Jesus goes on to say in Matthew chapter six, right? He says, "Choose your master." And and of course, you know, if you're if you're worried now, well, if I follow God, what about me and my family? How will we how will we live? And so Jesus addresses that, and he says, "Therefore I tell you, Matthew chapter six verses twenty five onwards. Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear." Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Uh, lost my place. Uh, each day has enough trouble of its own. God knows what we need, right? He's He's not saying, you know, just serve me and sacrifice everything and um, lose everything and be miserable. He's saying, seek me first, and actually you'll find wonderful meaning and satisfaction, and I'm going to take care of you. He knows um, that we need food and shelter and all these things, right? And he's saying, I'm going to make sure that you have those things and that, you know, all the stories in the Bible are there to give us that encouragement. Elijah, you know, when there was no food, no, no water, God provided it, even by uh, birds carrying food to him, right? There is nothing our God cannot do to provide for us. He has all the power and all the resources. And he's saying, seek him and his kingdom first and he'll take care of us. And I'm I have experienced this over and over again in my life. You know, last time I spoke, um, I talked about prayer and I said I have lots of stories about how God has provided. Um 
And you've all heard the story of how God, we, we, when we wanted to start Melbourne City Adventist Church and we needed a venue, and we prayed, God, give us a free venue, <laughs> right? And that very week, he did, through, through the Adventist businessman, Derek Rippingale, um, who, was, who has generous eyes, right? Who, who is seeking God and his kingdom first, um, said, you can use my place for free. And we used it for seven years, he didn't charge us a cent because he's storing treasures in heaven. And so, you know, there are so many times when we pray and ask God, and a lot of times the answer to our prayers is through other people who are choosing to store up treasures in heaven as well. I want to share a story about how God provides. And um, I've actually shared this story before many years ago, but um, some of you haven't heard it, so I'm going to repeat it today. In 2001... Wow, it's been 20 years. It's 2021 years. Um, in 2001, when I was graduating from high school, I was about to go to uni. And, you know, we had just enough to get, you know, things like bedding and sheets. And because in America, you know, you go to, you'll go off and go away to uni. And so I was going to be um, away from home. And so I had enough for the flight to get to the uni and, you know, the, the new sheets and, and kind of sultry toiletries and things like that. But I absolutely needed a laptop, right, to do my schoolwork. Um, and it was just too much. We just couldn't afford it. And so, you know, this is something that I knew that my parents were praying about. And, of course, um, it was definitely something that I thought, you know, I'll, I'll have this summer to work and, and hopefully um, uh, make enough to buy the laptop. Well, the night of my high school graduation, the Parent Student Association, um, you know, organized a graduation party for all the graduates in, in the town. There were two high schools, and um, you know, so they had bowling and food and, and games, and they had a raffle um, at the door. So as you entered, each each not all of the attendees, but each graduating senior got a little ticket, raffle ticket, and they were going to give out prizes at the end of the night. So they had fish tanks, they had um, backpacks, they had gift cards to, um, you know, the equivalent of office works, etc. And one of the things that they had was an IBM ThinkPad, which in 2001 was the best laptop. It had a hard uh, drive of 32 gigs with a Pentium 3 processor. It had a little red track point. This is 2001, very exciting. The chances of getting this laptop was one in 600, 600 graduates. And my sister was my plus one for this event. And we quickly just had a very impromptu, quick prayer session. We just said, dear God, you know that I need a laptop. I know that you'll provide either tonight or somehow. So thank you for the laptop. We prayed and then we waited for our the numbers to get called. And so, you know, there were, there were like 50 prizes. And so they're, they're calling the numbers. And um, if your number is called, you just go up and you see what you got. So we're looking, we're checking, we're checking. And then finally my number gets called. And so that's very exciting. I mean, to be called, to be selected at all, right? Out of 600 people to get something is amazing. So super excited. I go up to the table to claim my prize. And the lady checks my number and she looks up at me and she says, you lucky girl you got the IBM ThinkPad. And I will never forget, in that moment, 
the, you know, I kind of danced back to my seat, just knowing, and, and I've, and I've known it many times before and I've known it many times since, but knowing that God provides. I used that, the very first thing I, I, I did with that laptop was to make a PowerPoint presentation on the book of Daniel. And I did a series of Bible studies for our church youth that summer before I left for uni. And I used that laptop until it died a spectacular death in the junior year of my my uh, uni. But by then I had money to buy another one. God is the great provider. And I have never, ever regretted seeking God and his kingdom first. Over and over again, Right? Roy and I are always so blessed and surprised in a good way, but also just every time we just shake our heads because God provides. What are going to be, what's going to be your legacy, right? At the end of your life, whenever that is, what are you going to be grateful for? And what are you going to regret? Bonnie Ware is an Aussie nurse from New South Wales who spent several years working in palliative care. And she wrote a bestseller called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And one of the top regrets was, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. In fact, she wrote that every male patient she had ever had, every single one, and some of the women too, but she said every single male patient she ever had, had this regret. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. I wish... I had been there with the children while they were growing up. I wish I'd been there for my partner and spent time with my partner. They expressed regret that they had spent so much of their lives, right, striving and working for something that at the end of their lives did not bring them meaning or satisfaction. In January of this year, Harvard Business Review published an article written by John Coleman called Finding Success Starts with Finding Your Purpose. And this is what he says. He wrote, I've spent the last decade writing on leadership and personal development, particularly the topic of purpose. And one of the key insights from that work is the hollow nature of material success when it is absent of meaning. Success without significance, which I define as purpose, service, and meaningful relationships, is not really success at all. And waiting until you're in the latter half of your life to achieve true success is a waste. Few of us have thoughtfully considered the mainstream conception of success before we have pursued it. We may be thoughtful about selecting a job or career by thinking about what we're good at or the paths of those we admire. But over time, that job may dominate other meaningful parts of our lives. We can all relate to the struggles of work-life balance. Or we may lose sight of what makes that career purposeful in the first place. Our default then is often to chase material progress without truly asking why. Without truly asking why. And Jesus didn't want us to live like this, right? To be chasing, (laughs) excuse me, to be chasing and, and pouring our lives out. For what? Without really understanding why. Without really being satisfied. Without finding that purpose. And so Jesus says, hey, right? Paints the two pictures and says, hey, I'm making you a counter offer here. Invest in the eternal. Choose me, right? Seek God and his kingdom first. 
and don't worry. I'm going to take care of you. God doesn't want us to live with regrets. He doesn't want us to live with the anxiety that comes from trying to hold on so tightly to things that we cannot control. He says, live for my kingdom. It's a sure thing. It's a guaranteed thing. right? And trust in me because I'm a constant. Circumstances change as we have seen. Life is unpredictable. But God is a sure thing. His eyes are on the sparrow and he watches over us. I pray that today and every day of this week, as you think about this and wrestle with this and pray about this, that God would inspire you to choose him first, that you would discover God's amazing purpose for your life. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, there are so many times, because of the way we're raised, because of our society, because of everything that drives um, this world, that we've been driven by things that truly don't satisfy. And Father, we, we ask for the courage now and the wisdom and the insight to really seek you and your kingdom. To spend our time, to spend our weeks, to spend our years doing things that truly bring meaning, to, to, to lay up treasures in heaven. And that by doing so, Father God, may we experience not just that peace and purpose despite the circumstances, but that joy and, and that meaning that only you can provide because it's permanent, because we're working towards eternal things. And Father, I want to pray for everyone who, who are maybe on the cusp of decision who are struggling perhaps in their in the workplace with their careers with their lives trying to find meaning that father god that you would you would make it very clear to them the path you want them to take that you would inspire them to take a step for you and father we ask that you would continue to provide for us we pray for our daily bread you know our needs you know the needs of others help us to be vessels and instruments of bringing and providing for other people um, when we have extras, but also that, Father, if we're, if we're lacking at this moment, that you would provide. And we're so grateful for the many ways that you do provide. Thank you for this Sabbath day, a day that reminds us that you provide, a day where we rest from our work um, and acknowledge that you are the great provider, Lord. And we rest in your creation, your salvation, your redemption, and your providence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <music>